Pastor Steve here. Welcome to the Grace Valley Church Podcast. We're talking about um, mechanisms for growth, and um, within that, of course, uh, we'll, we'll look at, uh, we'll review again what the ingredients for growth are. I, I see the two as two different. Uh, let me begin by saying a couple years ago, I, I read a long-term uh, government study on health, especially as it regarding food, and um, what they, what they, what they noticed over the long course of the study with the, with the with people was that it wasn't so much the bad things that people ate that produced the bad health. What produced bad health long-term was um, forgetting to actually add the good. And they went, and what the article said, the government found was you, you they, people needed to go back again almost, when I was growing up, we had the, what we called the five major food groups. I remember in school too, there was a chart, I think it was a pyramid, not sure exactly how it worked, but... Uh, and I think the five major food groups were um, fruits, vegetables, um, whole grains, bread, um, dairy, and meat. So, you know, with meat, meat and fish, you got your proteins there. And those are the five major f- uh, food groups. And the government way back then, right, in the, when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s and 90s, um, kind of emphasize a certain, you were supposed to have a certain portion. And I can't, can't remember all the portions, but I remember fruits and vegetable. I think you needed at least one, one portion of fruit a day, two portions of vegetables. So this study, it indicated that it wasn't necessarily the bad things that people ate. And again, this was an, I don't think this is about weight. I think this is just about overall health, keeping yourself healthy. Was It wasn't so much, you know, people ingesting donuts on the weekend or, or, or burgers, but it was failing to actually... Um, remember the food groups, especially they, they emphasize those whole grains and the fruits and vegetables um, that American families had were not as uh, good at, at making sure their kids had a portion of fruit every day, two portions of vegetables. And it was the addition of the good that helped maintain health. It almost like it was that that overcame, let's say, the negative effects from food that has very little nutritional value in it. And you know what I'm talking about, right? My boy just sent me pictures of, um, you know, his meal at, at in college, you know, and he had orange sherbet there. I think very little nutritional value, right? I think might've been a so orange soda, oatmeal raisin cookies, probably not huge amount of nutritional value, although those are my favorite and I would, I would beg to disagree. It's gotta be loaded with great stuff. Anyways, um, so it was, again, it was back. People were just forgetting the fundamentals of what it meant to maintain good health. Our bodies were meant to ingest good things. And with those good, right ingredients, that, that maintained good health despite bad stuff. And it was when we, we just ate the bad and, no, and we're, we're very sloppy about making sure we we're ingesting the good, that health um, diminish. That was that was this longitudinal study uh, done by the government. And so, you know, with that as a backdrop, um, last week I talked about the mechanisms for growth, and we're going to look at them again, and we'll do a little bit more review, and I'll I'll, I'll add some um, some adjunct uh, principles to that. But um, what we good teachers and C.S. Lewis said this, you know, good, good teachers, good moral teachers always bring their students back to the fundamentals again and again. Um, and, uh, you know, Peter said in, in his epistle that 
people that he didn't necessarily that they didn't need to be taught they just need to be reminded again of these things and that that's just a fundamental for all of us wherever we are right now as we're plodding along in our journey um, as disciples or at least wanting to be disciples right people who really truly are devoted to Jesus Christ want to follow him want to do what he would do if he were them um, as they give their lives to him that that we're remembering the fundamentals. And I absolutely believe that Jesus has given us fundamentals. And, you know, we live in such, such an odd time um, or a different time, I feel, in the last couple of years for Christianity. And you can be doom and gloom and, and we all kind of get there um, and, and wonder what the state of affairs are with the church and the world around us. But it goes back to do the fundamentals and you will grow and you will make it. Okay, <laughs> you look at the history of Christianity and even really difficult periods or, or, or geographical places for Christians, you, you find them ultimately doing the fundamentals. Um, I said last week, you know, as, as the church always needs to gather, even Christians in persecuted um, epochs of, of history or places even today that you know, kind of cloister in their homes or meet with a couple friends in homes because it's very dangerous to worship publicly. Um, you will find in all of them, you know, all those different cells trying to gather because they want to be, you know, exposed to more Christians in a, in a setting so that there's more 30 or 40 or 50 of them. And I just think that is Holy Spirit driven. You will find that throughout history that there was just something about a gathered church with the pulpit as, you know, where there's proclamation from a gifted teacher or pastor, because again, he's given, you know, that he's given the church certain equipping um, gifts and people and they are not a dime, they are not a dime a dozen, and you just find these churches just being drawn back to do the fundamentals, uh, you know, as they're as they're journeying together. <clears throat> um, and so that's what we want to talk about. You know, that's the real job of every of everyone. Back back again to what those fundamentals are. Now, before we get back into what are the mechanisms for growth, remember there are certain ingredients for growth. I, I look at them as different. And I did this in a couple videos. I don't believe I did this on the podcast. Um, but the ingredients for growth, and I, I get this from, um, you, you'll, you'll find many teachers um, talking about this, but you need grace, you need truth, and you need time. Those are the fundamentals, right? You need a lot of grace. What's grace? It's basic form. You need acceptance. You need unconditional acceptance. I accept you. I don't pull away from you. I don't ignore you. People say, you're saying you don't ignore anyone who's a fellow Christian. Well, the Bible, the Bible does make some exceptions, right, in order to get people to turn. If people are sexually immoral and they're warned and they refuse to turn from their sexual immorality, you can look this up in your Bibles, you know, we're to have nothing to do with them, right? There are occasions where the Bible says, for example, there are fools. I like what one I think it was Cloud and Townsend said, there's, there's very few people that you could probably really categorize as a fool. There are people who may waste your time who are Christians. There are people who are a little bit high drama that you better feel like you're really called to make them close friends. But there's very few people you could, you could put in the categories of fools. For example, Jesus saying, don't, don't cast your pearls before swine. And some people love that verse. But I think there's very few of those people out there 
you know, I will say that as a pastor over many years, um, in, in, in three or four states being a pastor and recognizing people, I don't think I've ever could put anyone in that category. I would say, don't even bother being around or talking to that person. I just, I just think, you know, as Cloud and Town said, said, there's very few people of that. So, you know, we are to be given unconditional acceptance to people. It's the way people grow. When people feel condemned, of course, they move away from growth. When they feel absolutely accepted, you have a chance, again, maybe it's repeated behavior, to bring the behavior back to them again and saying, hey, you know what, again, it was hurtful what you said or it was hurtful what you did. And I know we talked about this before, but just think it just, it mars who you are. It's just, it doesn't look right on you, you know, and you do your best to that and you follow Matthew 18 for restoration and all those things. But people need, they need ultimately unconditional grace. They need acceptance. And then they need truth, right? We need gobs of truth. Romans 12, 1, we are absolutely, we are transformed by renewing of our minds, by getting the truth into us. What God says is true and right and good. Um, we need to have those things reminded, you know, taught first, instructed, and then reminded over and over. So we need objective truth from God. Then we need the flip side of that truth. We need truth about ourselves revealed. We need people who love us and are honest enough to show us, point out where we're failing or where we're typical and typical in a, in, in a, in a manner that doesn't, um, that doesn't serve us well. And when those people come along and you've had them in your life, I've had them in my line, in my life, they do help us grow. Even though we may push against them at first, ultimately they do make us do a double take and we can overcome behavior because someone actually pointed it out and called it for what it was um, so that we can no longer just minimize it um, or miss it maybe altogether. So you need grace, you need truth, and then you just need time. Transformation takes time. Change takes time. Uh, it's just the way it works. So those are the basic ingredients. And then God has given us just, and this is where I'm talking about these fundamentals that we need to just get back to and, 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 and be reminded of them again and again and again, uh, is that there are certain mechanisms that God has given us that we just need to practice as Christians. And we, we, we do not get away from them. And I call that again, the gathered church, right? Um, under the supervision of of pastor, elder, deacons, and a, a functioning body of Christ, and it doesn't have to be huge, but it's got the it's it's got a structure, it, it and it's got a, a discipline, and it's got a regular time um, of meeting, w- with the purpose of trying to multiply itself, and and reach people that it's on mission and has vision, and uh, that's that's been the that's been what we would call the gathered church for centuries. Um, I was listening to Stott on this, again, part of the, Pro, uh, the Protestant Reformation, where the pulpit is the center of change, that a spirit-filled preacher, or at least, at least say at the moment, spirit-filled preacher, preaching to spirit-filled people, there is absolute change. And again, you have seen this in a church. You know the power of the church. If you've been kind of, you know, put off lately with the church or dissuaded, Think back and think of the stories. And, and again, most people come, you, you look at people who have come, who have been one to Jesus Christ. Most have been won by A, first family members, but second is they have been invited to a gathered church again and again and again. Okay. So the first mechanism of growth is God has given us the church. It is, it is 
it has somehow lasted <laughs> through the centuries, the gathered church. Um, and again, I'm always amazed. You know, I think of all my readings on even China of still, you know, in a very difficult situation. And there's been a real clampdown lately with, with um, the new president or premier, or whatever he's called. Um, and he's clamped it down the last five years. But 10, 15 years ago, when it was still not necessarily, you had to be under governmental supervision. I mean, real gospel preaching, truth-loving Chinese were still attempting to build churches. And I don't think that was just some cultural thing. I think, again, it was just need that we need a place to meet um, and we need to be a gathered church. So whatever you feel about that, I, I've just never felt like like both the Bible says it really doesn't matter, um, that, you know, just meeting in a home could be a church. I'm not saying it is. It isn't. But I think it's it's so much more than that. And I don't see how, you know, all the gifts um, um, can hugely function and be found in just a small living room with 10 or 12 people deciding this is this is all we need and this is all we want. You know, eventually, if you're doing, if you're really look at it this way eventually if you're really loving god and you're really on mission together and you're really you know hoping to see people one to jesus christ people are going to find jesus and they're of course just going to be gathered into your group and then it's going to get it's going to get a certain size um and you could say well you know we'd split off and just start another on another home i i I just i just don't think it's that easy Uh, i'm not against the home church movement i just think um I just think that the gathered church is part of Christ's vision. So we have this gathered church, and then we would we would have what we would call more of a scattered approach as well. But that's within that gathered church that we need smaller circles. Um, I think it was Andy Stanley who preached long ago, you know, there's rows and there's a certain amount of transformation that happens in rows, but real good trans real transformation really happens in circles. So again, I am I am absolutely for. I think again. God has given us these mechanisms, and they're all important. And grace and truth and time, they're found in all of them. When I show up to a gathered church meeting, which I need to be in the habit of going of getting to, I am, you know, what's going to help people grow in there? They need to enter a church where they realize there's a lot of grace for wherever they are, and there's a lot of truth being preached. And there's an opportunity to see, because of it's being preached, and if it's being preached effectively, I'm beginning to see truth about myself where I personally don't measure up to the truth. Um, And then, you know, there's not a a perfectionistic or legalistic um, type of approach where where the church realizes it takes time for people to grow. Um, You know, if Jesus were here today, I don't think he'd say you don't need anymore, you know, a gathered church in structures. And to me, it doesn't care. I don't care if you church doesn't necessarily have to buy a building and have a building. Um, You know, we're attempting again to um, rent out a community center in in three weeks. So, you know, you don't have to own it. But I think you just, but I think you need, again, there's, there's a central, you cannot get away from the centrality of the preached word of God. It's been, you know, the power of the Protestant movement I don't think it'll ever go away, and I think you can't just rely on people sharing or doing a Bible study in a home. As effective as that is, and as life-changing as it is, I don't. It's not enough. I absolutely believe that. Um, 
So you need a gathered church. You need a more scattered approach where people are now scattered into their neighborhoods, into their communities, but they're meeting with other Christians in their home. They're on mission together. And they're, you know, it's about um, figuring out my own um, personal spiritual pilgrimage. And I'm doing that with others who are of like mind and we're on mission together as a group. Um, and that changes lives. And I, I think if you're missing that, you're missing one of the mechanisms. I don't think you get to pick and choose. I think it's all of them um, until it's impossible maybe to do one of them. And I'm not saying there's seasons of life maybe where it's difficult to really give yourself to one, but you need to find it in a certain form. Um, you know, even the Old Testament is replete when, G, when, when, when Israel left Egypt. Um, <clears throat> that the only way to really teach and judge and the people teach and judge uh, was to break them down into these concentric circles that got smaller and smaller so it was manageable. So there is something about the early church practice of meeting both in the temple courts when they could, okay? And then it got difficult. They couldn't meet in temple court, courts, right? And they, they were scattered and they fled. But you look at history and the early church fathers, they were not just confined as a small little family group in a home, they would find their ways into catacombs. And there were, you know, in certain places, hundreds of people trying to live there uh, and do life together. So you need that smaller, scattered approach of people doing mission together. Hey, even Jesus, who had many, many followers following him, broke it down eventually into 12 major disciples that he called, even though we know that there were way more disciples that follow him. In fact, we know that there were disciples, what, 150 in the upper room um, on that day of when Pentecost fell. So Jesus had his 12. In fact, then he had his three, we know, Peter, James, and John, that he took just up on the Mount of Transfiguration. You've probably had teaching of that if you're a Christian for any period of time. Um, you know, Paul had his entourage. Paul didn't go out all by himself on his missionary journey. Read the beginning and the end of his letters. There's There was an entourage always with him, two, three, four, five, six men all together. There's something about doing life and a spiritual journey with others. So you need that, that mechanism of a smaller circle meeting in a home or a coffee shop where you can figure out what your mission is going to be as a group. And you can, um, you know, also get God's objective truth into you via a book study or a Bible study or whatever it is. Um, those are two of the mechanism. And the final mechanism, you could call it wheel, is it's the indwelling Holy Spirit because um, while Christianity is, is, a, is, a, is a body religion, right, um, that he gave his life for the, his, the church, he gave it for you individually. There is an individual aspect still to Christianity, which says me meeting with God in a place in time like Jesus modeled for us, like we were exhorted to again and again to go into our room and close the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. Jesus said there's a place, there's a time, and then I'm after the truth there too, right? I'm, I'm having grace on myself that God loves me unconditionally. I'm trying to find the truth, and I'm giving myself time to change. But that final wheel of self-feeding me with my God on my own. Uh, in fact, I was reading Oswald Chambers who said, you know, we, we, there aren't enough books, he said, for a Christian to read to sharpen his mind and his intellect. Um, that we ought to be readers and feeders constantly. Uh, I was with some friends um, coming back and noticed on the plane that 
you know, they were both, they both had, a, I didn't know what books they were, but I could tell just a quick glance at the title. It was some, some Christian book they were slowly each working through. So Christians ought to be readers. You need to be ingesting good stuff on your own. Those are the fundamentals that God would bring us back to again and again. That is how Christians grow. That's how we endure. That's how we realize, hey, we're in a pilgrimage. The circumstances of life are all around us. We can't control them. What God has given us that we can control right are those the are those mechanisms and within those mechanisms again the these these basic ingredients of how we grow and all these mechanisms they they bring a i think they bring a nuance and a and uh and a, maybe a feeling or a power or an approach that hits us in a different way there's something just different that happens to me when i'm in my room reading and praying to God. It's an experience that I don't quite get in a group. It's, it's an experience that I, again, I don't get in a gathered church. There's an experience that I get in a gathered church, especially with the, uh, with fundamental worship of the public reading of God's word, of testimonies, of, of worship, real singing to God, which it's so hard to duplicate that even in a home, that I can't find in a home and that I can't find in my own room with God. And, you know, finally, there's something about, you know, a group of people that are doing their best to gather together in a home and figure things out together and expose one another to the truth and challenge one another and do some life together and figure out their mission. It's an experience that I also can't get in the gather in a gathered uh, building and I can't get in my own room. So, um, again, I want to encourage you. Um those are the fundamentals and we just need to be brought back again and again it's like you know it's like a kid a child that you know wants to shirk a certain lesson we need to we bring the child back and again back again and again do the lesson so um i was just just i noticed a a quick read um out of something i was scrolling through the other day and and stan lee you know um i think the co-creator of marvel comics said something about Robert Downey Jr. That, he, that Robert Downey Jr. was born to play Tony Stark. Um, and and uh, it's like, if you've seen the movies, yeah, it's, I don't know who else could play Stoney, uh, Tony Stark, sorry, in those movies. But listen, you were, you were born again. You weren't born, but you were born again to do those mechanisms. That's what you were born again to do. You were born again to be part of a church that was on mission and had a vision. And you were born again to be connected in friendship and fellowship to a smaller circle of people where you could really, really be real, where you can't be as real in a big church. And you were born again, right, to meet with your Lord and Savior alone, just the two of you. Um, to both communicate and then to listen to what he has to say to you personally. And then all three of those, you know, they influence one another, don't they? All three of those circles that we talked about, those mechanisms, they all kind of influence one another. Um, you know, it's just, it's such a beautiful thing the way um, God, the Holy Spirit uses all those in our lives. So don't forget the fundamentals. If you've, if you've somehow walked away from any of those and have changed your mind, get back again to what the church has always tried to practice. You know, even groups are nothing new. You, you find them throughout history. Um, you know, even the great Methodist movement really was, was John Wesley um, with all the people he won 
to Christ as an, as an evangelist with Whitfield would organize them into these small groups in their home where they could discuss their spiritual journey, where all of them were equally responsible for the life and health of the group so that no one had too much responsibility in the group and uh, no one had too much. Um, that it was just, and you have to kind of look at how God mightily used the Methodist movement to revive so much of England and America. You cannot tell me that that was not a great movement of the Spirit of God. And likewise, that it wasn't just, didn't matter to God that Wesley organized, you know, people into these smaller settings, that that was absolutely led by God to gather people into smaller groups. So you find these again throughout history, you know, don't ignore them. Um, and if you just kind of fallen out of practice, find a way back to do these um, as a Christian and especially as a disciple of Jesus. Okay, great. We'll see you next week.